If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, welcome to episode 180 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Rachel Hoppe, co-founder of the Community Roundtable, a group that's been focused for more than a decade on community as a fundamental aspect of organizational strategy and management. Now, Jeff, you and I are big believers in communities as very fertile ground for learning. So I'm going to assume that this is part of what you covered in the conversation with Rachel. Indeed it is. And I'll first note that um, while I've been familiar with the Community Roundtable for many years, it was actually Harold Jarkey who suggested that we talk with Rachel. So hat tip to uh, Harold. We'll certainly be sure to connect to his episode in the show notes for this episode. And of course, you know, in, in his thinking, and of course, and this is going to be true also, and uh, how the Community Roundtable approaches things, networks, communities, learning, they're all going to be very, very tightly connected. Um, you know, as Rachel puts it at one point in our interview, any good community is a learning community. And she also says that communities are just-in-time learning mechanisms. They're basically containers of trust that scale beyond individual relationships. So, you know, as you said, Salisa, just very, very powerful for learning. And uh, we've been focused on community for, well, I mean, throughout uh, our, our work at Tagoras and throughout our work with Leading Learning. In fact, one of the early episodes with Leading Learning was with Richard Millington from Feverbee, who's also a, you know, big advocate of community. That's what his company focuses on. And and again, we'll be sure to uh, also link to, to that episode. But uh, this was just a, another great uh, opportunity to talk about uh, community. It's, it's evolved a lot over the years, and certainly Rachel and I discussed that. Um, and it's just become a more and more, uh, I think, not so much that it's become more powerful because it's always been powerful as a catalyst for uh, learning, but it's become much, much more recognized as a catalyst for learning, and as you put it in the introduction, really fundamental to strategy, really fundamental to management, and we get into all of that in this conversation. Well, that sounds fantastic, so let's go ahead and roll the interview with Rachel Hoppe. Hello, I'm Jeff Cobb. This is the Leading Learning Podcast, and today I'm joined by Rachel Hoppe. Rachel is a co-founder of the Community Roundtable, a group that empowers community leaders with innovative, collaborative, and research-based online community strategies. And we'll definitely talk in a bit more detail about exactly what that means. Rachel herself has spent the last 20 years helping organizations implement emerging technologies to advance their business strategies. She understands how networked communications environments can transform how people work, their productivity, and their personal satisfaction by aligning their passions, skills, and relationships. And I know those are all transformations that listeners here would love to achieve, so I'm thrilled to have Rachel come on the show for a conversation. Rachel, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Well, it's great. I'm glad we uh, connected and were able to make a little bit of time. I just gave 
a very brief introduction there really just kind of scratched the surface. So I do want to give you a chance uh, to talk a little bit about, uh, at the outset of our conversation, a bit more about you um, and maybe uh, a bit more about the Community Roundtable. What else would you like to highlight uh, for listeners? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think my background and why the Community Roundtable exists are kind of synonymous because I never went to, in, well, I never intended to go start a company. Mm. Uh, it just happened to be that I was the right person in the right time, seeing a market evolve. And I was like, I know, I know this. Um, so my background, uh, I graduated with a politics and a complex organizations ma- major minor. Um, and uh, I was an analyst early in my career, and I got into management consulting, and I was doing a lot of new product development, benchmarking, and, and consulting around process and operations. So the firm I worked for was an operations strategy firm uh, in the high-tech space. Um, and uh, the dot-com boom rolled around, and I got excited by that, and I moved into technology, and I was in product marketing and product management. And so I got into that world, moved out to Silicon Valley uh, for a while and did the startup thing. And I was there when LinkedIn and Friendster were all taking off and getting started. MySpace, that whole era. Uh, I, have uh, heard, I have not heard the word Friendster in quite a while yes, now. It was <laughs> a while ago, um, but was an early adopter of things like LinkedIn. And I was building a, my own social network around independent music because I, I was working at a payments platform. So we were using this micropayments as an enabler, but we were building this uh, online social network as a way to show the, the power of micropayments. Um, so I kind of got into that wor- the social world that way. Um, and IDC then hired me to be their first social software analyst. So I was the first analyst covering this market, I think, in the space, and I did one of the first forecasts of the market. Uh, that's probably about 15 years ago now, almost, which is mm. scary. Um, and then for a brief uh, time, I ran the product group of a LMS and social platform. They were trying to bridge an LMS and a social platform together, and I ran the, the product group there. Um, and that, that organization kind of combusted because they were, they had an M&A strategy in 2008, which was not a good approach to building a company in 2008. Mm. Uh, and so a, a colleague of mine and I were, uh, kind of sifting around and we knew a lot of these early community managers and I was looking at the space and I knew how fast the adoption of technology was going, but I also had this operations strategy background. Um, and the, the thing I didn't mention is I grew up with a community organizer and a minister for a father in a church where the congregation hired and fired the minister. Uh, so interesting. By tacit authority. So I grew up watching these community leadership models um, which were really expensive in the offline world. It took way too long to get a decision uh, using that model. So you really had to be mission-driven to use that model. Um, but once technology came along, I was like, oh, my God, this is so much easier. I can now have a conversation between a 1,000 people at one time. I don't have to get them all in a room together. They can all participate in these online platforms. So the operational cost of leading in that way 
Mm. It diminishes significantly. And what that means from a cultural perspective is we can, uh, it's, it allows us to create more of a, mer- a true meritocracy than a hierarchical model. Like we can all treat each other like adults uh, rather than uh, this kind of um, paternal hierarchical model that we're right. kind of stuck in in our organizations. So I saw this opportunity and I had this unique lens of the politics, the operations, the technology, the management consulting, and uh, understanding the leadership and management model of how you get a group of people to do productive things when you, you can't tell them what to do. Interesting. So I, I was commenting before we got on um, that uh, in, in many ways, our, our organizations have evolved over the same time. Uh, we've had a little bit of a different focus. You focused on community. We focused on the learning business, but some of the ways we've approached it and some of those, I think, kind of ahas and the pieces that we put together, very similar. And I want to come back to talking about how you know learning and, and community relate um, most definitely. But But before we even get there, and this may sound like a you know, a, a naive or very basic question, but I, I feel like the word community gets thrown around so much now. Everybody's talking about, you know, their community, building community, uh, all of that sort of thing. I mean, what do you mean when you, when you use that word community? It's interesting because it actually took us a few years to come up with our own definition for the very reason that everybody uses it. Everybody means slightly different things by it. If you go to the traditional definitions They'll talk about geographic community as mm. the, the core definition. And, of course, once you get online and take away that geographic bearing, like, then what does it mean? Right. Um, and so I really let social network analysis inform how I think about communities. And so mm. uh, if you look at, like, the Twitter network, for example, m- most of the social network uh, tools we have available tap into that API because it's public. Um, You can see these really complex networks, but within them, you can see these clusters. Um, And uh, that led me to a definition of a group of people with unique and shared values, beliefs, and artifacts. Mm. Uh, And what that means is they, they share a, a common purpose or a reason to get together uh, a, a, a similar set of beliefs and they do the same things together. So artifacts are, you know, if it's a tweet chat community, we always come together on Thursday. I can point to things that we always do together um, that are an artifact of the community. Right. And so then in, in your work um, and as the community roundtable, I mean, are you, are you helping organizations to identify those types of communities to, to, to cultivate those types of communities, to bring more people into those types of communities? I mean, I'm sure it's some of all of the above. Can you describe a little bit more what the work really involves? It's mostly to be intentional and explicit instead of implicit. Mm. Communities exist in our world all over the place. Some are poorly managed and run. Some are not really managed at all. Um, Some are kind of a flash in the pan like if you look at hashtags, some of the time you get this flash in a pan community that then goes away because there's no reason to stay together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so communities exist throughout our lives. Each of us has probably 
I, I wouldn't want to guess. It depends on the person. But like we have a lot of different communities that we're involved in. And so organizations you can think of uh, having also a number of communities and a network of communities. And organizations already have a network of communities outside of their organization that they participate in. And they have their or their employee community that's uh, divided up into different sub-communities. So all organizations operate in a network already. Whether or not they choose to see that and cultivate those communities or not mm-hmm. uh, is in question, meaning they don't have to and many don't. And many treat those, uh, those communities in a very transactional way, which... Again, if I go back to my operational head, uh, treating people transactionally uh, is a very high cost way to get a conversion or a commitment. Interesting. Um, If I have a relationship with you and I ask a favor in the context of that relationship, you're very likely to say yes. If I just randomly do a flyby and say, hey, can you babysit my kid for three hours? You're going to look at me like I'm nuts. I'm going to have to pay you a lot of money to do that. And so, uh, you know, that's that's part of why you intentionally cultivate those communities. If you want to be intentional about connecting with your community, cultivating relationships, and delivering great learning experiences, we suggest you check out our sponsor for this quarter. Community Brands provides a suite of cloud-based software for organizations to engage and grow relationships with the individuals they serve, including association management software, learning management software, job board software, and event management software. Community Brands' award-winning Crowd Wisdom Learning Platform is among the world's best LMSs for corporate extended enterprise and is a leading LMS for association-driven professional education programs. Award-winning Freestone, Community Brands' live event learning platform, is a leading platform for live learning event capture, webinars, webcasts, and on-demand streaming. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash community brands. And now back to Jeff and Rachel as they turn to the relationship between communities and networks. And and you've a couple of times already made reference to... Um, to networks. I mean, you talked about network analysis in the first place um, and about, you know, organizations operating within networks. How, how do communities and networks relate in your mind? And I know you've got, you've got a maturity model that, um, you know, that you use with, uh, with, with organizations or with their communities. And I know that being networked, uh, and I have a very superficial understanding of the, the, the model, um, but, uh, but I know that network appears as kind of the highest level to, to reach. Can you talk a little bit more about that relationship? Yeah. And I, first I would caveat that not everyone that maturity model isn't intended to say a network is the state you want to be in. You Mm. may want a single use community and that's fine. You don't have to uh, go that next step. Uh, But I do think that every community sits within a network. And again, you can, implicitly it always sits within a a broader network you can either make that relationship explicit and manage that or not Mm. and what we see as are the organizations and clients we work with 
Um, some organizations start with one community that's really designed to serve one major use case. Uh, either it's a marketing thought leadership community or a community of practice or a collaborative community with a set of partners around one initiative. Um, a lot of communities start in the customer support space. As they grow and mature, they start bringing in more and more of the organization and the ecosystem, and they start uh, uh, naturally extending the use cases that they support. Mm. And so they, they kind of develop a center of gravity that pulls people in. And all of a sudden they start fragmenting and becoming more complex and they develop into a network rather than a single use community. Gotcha. Now what we're seeing to today and where the space has evolved is now we have clients coming to us who don't have uh, a formal community or network approach. And they say, we understand we have an ecosystem that we want to enable. And we want to explicitly uh, kind of document and design and architect that ecosystem uh, from the get-go and then apply technology and use that ecosystem to transform how our engagement model for our organization. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the path with way that they're taking to digitally transform their culture, to change that cultural, how we interact, how we uh, engage, how we learn, how we grow. Right. And what do you find are the, um, the main stumbling blocks that, that organizations run into? Cause I, you know, I've been involved in some communities. I've been in, involved in some efforts to build community or even to try to, to get as far as, as networks. And uh, it can be hard, I mean, to, to really get a community to, to start kind of humming, uh, basically. Um, so what, what do you see as those main barriers and, and how, how do people tend to overcome them? It's interesting. I, I uh, think of the Leo Tolstoy quote a lot when I think of communities, which is like all happy families right. are the same, but all dysfunctional families are different. Uh, communities are kind of the same. And when they're successful, it's very hard to figure out why they succeeded and all mm. these other communities failed because like they just, it just looks like it was destiny. Um, but what's usually true is uh, they have a really firm strategy. And what I've found over the years, um, people are very aware at this point or generally aware that they need a shared purpose for a community. Like, what is it? Why are we all coming together? What are we doing here? Uh, what's less uh, obvious is that if you don't have uh, the shared value defined, people won't stay engaged. So what is it you're doing together that you couldn't do alone? Because the people who want to and will engage deeply they want to get stuff done. They don't want to sit around and chit chat about it. You know, mm. they will a little bit, but like, unless, unless you're making a meaningful difference, they're going to go somewhere. Their attention is going to go somewhere else. Right. Okay. So usually it's one of those two issues. They, you haven't defined the shared purpose well enough, or you haven't defined the shared value. So if you, if people aren't coming at all, you don't have a compelling shared purpose. 
if people aren't staying engaged, you don't have a compelling shared value. High value learning opportunities can be a great way to create a shared focus for your community. To deliver compelling learning online, we encourage you to check out our sponsor for this quarter. WBT Systems develops the industry-leading top-class LMS, which delivers transformative professional development experiences for education and certification programs. With a single point of support from in-house integration experts, Top Class LMS easily integrates with a wide variety of systems to provide efficient administration and a unified learning experience. WBT supports organizations in using learning technology to help drive growth in membership, increase revenues, and enhance the learning experience. WBT believes in truly understanding your challenges and partnering with you to ensure the success of your education programs. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash WBT. And now back to Jeff and Rachel as they discuss some of the biggest shifts Rachel has seen in how organizations think about and approach community. And I'm sort of guessing I know the answer to this, but I'd love to, to, to hear how you've seen it uh, evolve. I mean, I mean, obviously, organizations have become much, much more aware of um, community uh, over the years. I mean, you just hear a lot more about it. And then you've had, you know, organizations like yours come along that are really focused on it. Um, there are a lot of experts out there around community right now. Um, I mean, what what are some of the biggest shifts you've seen in how your clients, companies, organizations are thinking about this now as a, as a component of their, of their business and, and kind of how they're going about it. I mean, a lot has happened over the course of 10 years, you know, that you've, and I know you've been involved with technology before that, but you know, as the, as the round table over that 10 years, what are some of the biggest shifts that, that you've seen? Um, I think the biggest one is when we started, uh, almost all community managers were uh, symbolically sitting in a closet in the corner in their mm. organizations. Most, many of them by themselves, but even if they weren't by themselves, it was some little like uh, execution, like very like tactical solution to something. It has become much more strategic. Um, and uh, along with that, when we also started, we actually got a lot of pushback from community managers themselves when we started saying, this is an art. You can't teach this. Interesting. Um, like, this is something you either do or you don't do, but like, you can't learn it. And um, I've never liked to be told I can't do, th- I'm just resistant in that way, defiant maybe. Uh, but I was like, I don't believe that. I, I believe, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a market researcher. So like, I'm like, I, I think we can figure this out. Um, and so uh, really you can look at the evolution of our research and see how the market has changed because in the early years, what we were doing was capturing qualitative practices. We couldn't do quantitative research because uh, we didn't know enough. No one knew enough about kind of commonalities across community managers. So we were getting them together in our own community, listening to them, having conversations with them, and then documenting how they approached the task. Um, And then over the years, we started to be able to 
quantify that. And so the other thing that has changed quite a bit as, as well as getting more strategic is we actually have the ability to measure and we know what we need to measure now. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we actually changed our research again because we felt like we got to the p- point where we were like, we can document exactly what you need to do to get a, to grow a community successfully. Like, we know what all the markers are. We know in a roughly what order you need to do this if you want to invest in it. We can give you a community roadmap based on that. Um, and so our research has shifted again to looking at um, how communities are impacting uh, their organizations and organizational strategy. And so we're focused much more on things like last year, one of the findings from our research was communities are really powerful change agents in organizations because they are complex adaptive systems mm. that can effectively address a complex problem, which is culture change is a complex problem communities are very effective at addressing that and in a way that brings people along rather than a transactional approach where you're like, here's the change to the process, go do that. And people are like, eh, I have another way to do it. I'll keep doing that. Works for me. Right. And that's a, that's a perfect segue into a point that I raised in the introduction, this whole, um, uh, intersection between, uh, uh, learning and and community because what you're talking about that cultural change I mean that's a learning process obviously any any change is a learning process and um, you know just like we've heard all this buzz about community more and more over the years I feel like you know just in the past two or three years I've started picking up you know the, the New York Times or a major publication and you see lifelong learning again and again and again people are talking about lifelong learning and that you're getting into these concepts like learning and the flow of work you know it's no more about training and courses and classes. I mean, those still have their place, but everybody's recognizing learning really works or learning happens in the interaction between people. It happens in the flow of life. It happens in the, in the flow of work. So I'd love to hear more about how, how you view that relationship um, between community and learning and, and how they support each other. Yep. Well, so I would say that uh, any good community is a learning community. Mm. Like, there's no point in having a community if it's not doing something pro, like active. Um, and just like learning to, to enable people to thrive, you need support and challenge. Um, and you need it. Uh, you need different support and different challenge, depending where you are in your day, in your emotional life, in your work, in your like whatever. And so, uh, the, the problem with having one teacher or one, one person to teach you is that your needs change by context, by timing, by what you're doing. And what communities really do, and I've, I've talked about it this way for a number of years because, again, I have that new product development supply chain background, is communities are really just-in-time learning mechanisms. Mm. Because you can put out there, this is what I'm working on, and all of a sudden five people will come up and say, hey, I've done that before. Let's chat. Um, and if you build, so communities are really just containers of trust. And they're containers of trust that scale beyond your individual relationships. So you know a certain percentage of the community, but there's still people in the community you don't know or don't know very well. But you trust them because they're in this shared space with you. 
And so it allows you to really access what you don't know you don't know. Um, and it, they're just very effective mechanisms of getting you what you need when you need it um, in a way that you could never create a formal learning path for. Because mm. it would be too expensive to individualize it at that level. And, and I'm wondering, as a follow-on to that, because uh, you know the, the other force that um, is entering into learning conversations right now are things like uh, artificial intelligence, automation, how those are changing the nature of work, the future of work. And, um, and I've also noticed, uh, and, and I've, I think it's really just because I've been paying attention to it in the last few months, you know, you're starting to see things like um, chatbots come along that are artificial intelligence-powered who are sort of starting to have this conversational role with people and, and in a way, I think trying to mimic a little bit of, of the feel of, of community, um, definitely not getting all the way there yet, uh, but, but that's going to get better and better. Um, I'm wondering how you think about all of these things mixing together this whole, the future of work and with, you know, uh, what artificial intelligence is going to make possible. How does that factor into community? How does it factor into the sort of, you know, just in time uh, learning that, that you were just talking about? Um, I happen to think they're pretty complementary mm. um, because what AI does really well is it surface it surfaces what we already know. That's also its biggest risk. It can right. just uh, reinforce the filter bubble of like what we already think. Um, but it can very effectively, if you're chatting with somebody, bring up all the related content we already have. Um, what's interesting though, is, uh, if you look at it from an innovation or a learning angle, um, communities, relationships, and dialogue are really the true front end of innovation, right? Other than art, art is the way front end of innovation. But once you can actually articulate things in language, you have to make sense of the world. And Harold Jarsh, who introduced us, mm -hmm. he talks a lot about sense-making. Um, you have to use each other to make sense of new information coming in. Um, yep. AI isn't going to help with that. Uh, people are really uniquely uh, qualified to imagine what does not exist already. AI can't do that. AI pulls from what we already know. Um, and so those two things have to act in tandem. And actually, uh, one of the charts I show our clients a lot is flow versus stock knowledge. And it's this constantly constant recycling of that in a community that is so powerful in terms mm. of like the engine of in innovation. Interesting. And I, this is, uh, I guess switching gears a, a little bit, but um, just you know, hearing you say all this, I mean, you're you're so steeped in this. Um, you know, you've been doing this for so long. Uh, I, I, how does this factor into your own life? I mean, do you have particular communities um, that that you that are your go-to places? Uh, I know you've got your own community there at the, at the round table, um, obviously, but even even beyond that, um, you know, where where do you go to to try to tap into all of this? Um, there's a I. The communities I tend to engage with online the most are um, uh, alumni communities from my school because we have kind of a shared sensibility. And so there's one for, uh, I went to a women's college, that, so that helps. It narrows it down to just women. Um, and there's communities by age 
range. And so there's a group of us that are all in our 40s and 50s. And that's just a great space to like get some shared um, sensibility or feedback about things. And the other uh, area I spend a lot of time in is in um, parenting communities because I have an eight-year-old that I'm constantly trying to figure out. I, I do too. We share that. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, parenting is one of those things that communities are perfect for because uh, a lot there's no black and white answer to parenting it's all figuring out a lot of nuance about who your kid is and what's the best strategy for for dealing with that so that's a very effective uh use for communities and then i have other communities that i participate in uh more occasionally uh on the professional side, I dip into them here and there because I, I do already have the core CR network community that I am in a lot, uh, from a professional perspective. Right. Okay. And that's a, um, that sort of tees up what's usually our, our last early second to, to last question for, for the show. Something we like to, to ask all of the, the guests who come on and this may or may not relate to community. You can, you can let us know, but, uh, we like to ask a question that focuses on your personal learning specifically. And that specifically is, you know, what's one of the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? Um, I was thinking about this and there's two things that stand out. And one, I'm an experiential learner, mm-hmm. um, which may be why I'm so uh, drawn to communities as a approach. But, um, and the, the first example is actually from when I was 16. So I hadn't finished my formal education, but I uh, was going on an exchange year uh, abroad. Right. And they had us play this game called Bafa Bafa. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's about intercultural learning and it has stayed with me for 30 years. It was that powerful, a two or three hour. And basically they separated you out, taught you different styles of trading cards and then brought you together. And like, it was mind bending because you just couldn't understand the other people at all. Um, So that was a really, obviously a powerful uh, experience. The other one that we do a lot of sessions with experts in the CR virtually. And one of the early ones we did was with Nancy White, who you may be familiar with. She's done a lot of work in the online community and learning space um, and communities of practice. She wrote one of the original books around communities of practice. Um, But she had us do a virtual uh, drawing collaboration. And so we were all in our community, our our own computers, drawing on the same virtual page together. And it was, it was so interesting, the power dynamics and the who could draw on who's drawing and how, like, because there weren't any rules. So some people kind of drew off in their little spaces and some people collaborated and some people got really upset by people collaborating. It was a really fascinating way to spend an hour. So those are the two that uh, really stick out for me. Wow, th- those are both interesting. I'm, I'm going to have to look up the game, and uh, I might have to see if I can find out more about that uh, virtual drawing exercise, too. That sounds very, very powerful. So, wow, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for sharing those. Um, thanks for taking the, the time to come on the show. If, 
If listeners want to know um, uh, a little bit more about you, uh, if they want to connect with you, uh, how, how would they go about doing that? I am on Twitter a lot at R-H-A-P-P-E is my handle. And uh, people can feel free to email me too. At It's just Rachel at communityroundtable.com. Great. And of course, we'll also put some links up to, um, to the roundtable, to your, to your annual report, uh, to uh, those sorts of items so folks can easily access those. So great. Well, thanks again, uh, Rachel, for coming on Leading Learning. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. That wraps up our interview with Rachel Hoppy. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 180. And when you check out the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe, as it helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be truly grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen to the podcast. If you happen to listen on iTunes, going to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes will put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate ratings and reviews, but even more importantly, those reviews and ratings play an important role in helping the podcast show up when people search for the types of subjects we talk about. And we'd be grateful if you check out our sponsors for this quarter. Those sponsors really do play a vital role in helping to make the Leading Learning Podcast happen. So you can find out what Community Brands has to offer at leadinglearning.com slash communitybrands and find out more about WBT Systems at leadinglearning.com slash WBT. Finally, please tell others about the podcast. You can send a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leading lifelong learning, and you can share us with others on Facebook. However you do it, please spread the good word about leading learning. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.